Hi, welcome to another episode of the Wilkin and Gutton Plan podcast. Today is February 10th, 2023, and today we're going to be talking about the New Jersey Pilot Program. I'm Chris Frederick, a partner at the firm, and joining me today are Amanda Brady, a partner, and Cara Gray, a manager within our real estate group. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here today. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I'll be honest, I'm excited to talk about this topic with you both. Uh, admittingly, I don't really know much about the NJ Pilot Program. Um, I'm looking certainly forward to learning something today. Uh, so with that, if, you, if it's good with you guys, let's get right into it. Can we maybe start with some background about the program? Who can benefit? Why would a real estate entity consider entering a pilot program? You know, let's start there. Sure. Thanks, Chris. So I guess just to jump right into it, PILOT is an acronym that stands for Payment in Lieu of Real Estate Taxes. Um, New Jersey issued this statute to help municipalities redevelop certain areas that are either considered distressed or blighted. Um, and these areas are usually areas that are not generating real estate taxes. Municipalities offer an incentive to bring developers into their towns to redevelop the areas that are considered distressed or blighted. And the way that they entice the developers is by offering an, an annual service charge. Another word for annual service charge is pilot. And basically, developers remit an annual service charge every year that's calculated based upon certain um, agreed-upon definitions in the financial agreement. So the annual service charge can be calculated based on a percentage of revenues, or it could be a dollar amount per cost of square foot. It really depends on the financial agreement, and it depends on the town. So it's really important to understand what's written in the financial agreement, because there are a lot of requirements and obligations that developers need to meet. Right. So in connection with all of this as well, the statute calls for a cap on profits of the entity. Um, and it's referred to as the net allowable profit. And if the developer, if the entity exceeds the net allowable profit, then what happens is the entity will have to remit additional taxes on top of the annual service charge. There's a definition in the statute for the allowable profit rate that allows for the greater of 12% of the entity's total project costs or the greater of their initial permanent financing rate plus one and a quarter. So once that's applied to your total project costs, you look at that as compared to your net income or net loss. And based upon that calculation, the entity may need to remit an additional amount to the town. So how does the town make that determination? They don't just trust the developer to send them the additional profits. The statute says that you have to have an audit done. And not only do you have to have an audit done, but it must be done in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. You'll generally hear the term gap when we talk about generally accepted accounting principles. And those financial statements are going to be due with within 90 days of your year end. So that means if you have a calendar year end of December 31st, then you have to submit an audited financial statement no later than March 31st. So the essence of the pilot program is to enable towns to entice the developer to build in their towns by offering these long-term tax abatements. And it's often very beneficial to the town. Um, so it's not only beneficial to the developer, but it is also beneficial to the municipality. So, I mean, this sounds like a real estate agreement, right, Kara? As, as you're talking about it, I can totally see why towns would want to offer this to developers. You know, um, you get new development in the town, brings new jobs, new people. But Amanda, you start talking about gap audit. So what sort of role does an accounting firm play in these arrangements? 
So I think the biggest thing that we come across is developers often don't realize when they're putting together a financial agreement that they're required to submit gap financial statements. Most developers, their internal financial statements and trial balance is on an income tax basis. So once we start the audit, there is a lot of changes that have to be made in order to get from income tax basis to gap basis. Um, and a lot of developers are often not aware of this, and this is a surprise to them. And there's really a lot of work that goes involved when converting from income tax basis to gap basis. There are a lot of key differences. Some of the major ones, um, one to start is rental income recognition. So that could really vary between income tax basis and gap basis. If you have a lease agreement that calls for free rental periods or rent escalations, the income statement could look very different from gap to tax. Under gap, any leases that are greater um, than one year, you're required to straight line them and recognize the income evenly over the life of the lease. So for example, you could have cash in your account of zero, but based on your lease agreement, but the financial statements may show rent. And this could ultimately result in additional annual service charge due based on the financial agreement if the annual service charge is based on a percentage of revenue. Another major difference is depreciation. So for gap basis financial statements, depreciation is required to be calculated based on a straight line. Um, calculation. And then for income tax basis, you have to follow the IRS rules and regulations. The third biggest difference that I've come across is financing costs and the associated amortization. And basically where that's presented on income tax basis versus gap basis financial statements could be very different. So often developers get attorneys involved um, when they're negotiating with the town for the financial agreements, but they don't always get the accountants involved. Right, exactly. And then when we go to do the audit for a pilot, we find that there's a discrepancy between the definitions and the detailed calculation of annual gross revenues or discrepancies in how the exhibits are presented from the requirements of GAAP financial statement. So this can cause delays in getting audits completed because we need to consult with the attorney or we may need to consult with the town to make sure that everybody's on the same page is as to the spirit of the agreement. Um, if developers were to consult with accountants during negotiations with the town, then we could help them clear up things in the financial agreement, and it would be more easily interpreted when we're going to do the audit. So, for example, the statute says that annual gross rents should be defined based upon a percentage of gross rents, but it's up to the town, it's up to the municipality to determine how the operating expenses that are billed back to the tenants would be, should that be included in annual gross revenue? Um, should it be you know, excluded because it's a pass-through expense? So oftentimes we find that these definitions aren't necessarily explained in the financial agreement, but the statute is also not very clear about it. So, Carrie, you mentioned lease accounting, and I think that certainly has got, gotten complicated, you know, especially this year for private companies. Quick plug, check out our previous podcast episode where we discussed the newly implemented lease standards for private companies. You know, and Amanda, from the sounds of it, it sounds like the accounting compliance is really a key component of these agreements. I heard you guys talk about us being involved early in the process, maybe as they're, as they're negotiating and obviously for the audit. Uh, but what else? You know, when else is it important to have your accountant involved in these sort of agreements? Yeah, exactly. Developers are often surprised that they're required to submit an audit of their financial statements. Oftentimes, they assume that they only need to submit a schedule of the net allowable profit to the town. 
But the statute requires audited financial statements. So that means that we're required to audit all of the financial statements, which includes a balance sheet, an income statement, equity and cash flows. And, you know, that requires us to do things like examine bank statements and reconciliations, examine rent rolls and lease agreements, um, do detailed fixed asset testing. And then on top of all of that, we also include, you know, detailed footnotes that go through what happened in the company's financial statements throughout the year. And then obviously we do include the schedule of net allowable profit and the calculation of the annual service charge. In addition, when we're doing an audit, one thing developers may not realize is that the auditing standards require us to understand in detail their internal controls. So we have to have a clear understanding of the internal controls surrounding the accounting functions, which includes cash, accounts receivable, your month-end close, your year-end close. And then we also go through some of the accounting functions related to the softwares that the entity uses for bookkeeping and payroll and any third-party services that they might use. So in the first year, we really have a small window to document all of this information. So Amanda, Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. These NJ pilot programs have some real benefits for developers and towns, but it sounds like there is a cost of compliance necessary to ensure that all the requirements of the program are being met. Uh, you know, Any final thoughts as we wrap up that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, definitely. We would recommend to our clients that when they're entering into a financial agreement that they should come and consult with us so that we could review the financial statement requirements, the schedule of net allowable profit, and the calculation of the annual service charge that's being included in their financial agreement before they sign the document in order to ensure that there's clarity in their financial agreement. And I think it's important to note that there are a lot of audit procedures that we can do before the end of the year. So prior to substantial completion of the project, there's a lot of audit procedures that an accountant can come in and do. So you, they can come in and understand your internal controls and discuss your systems narrative with you. Another thing that they can do is test the construction costs that were incurred, which could be very time consuming and that's very helpful to do before the end of the year. Another thing that they can do is they can start testing leases, whether it's residential or commercial leases. Um, we could also get an understanding, as Amanda mentioned, of the financial agreement. Um, if the project has a loan, we can get the loan documents and get an understanding of the loan and read through the loan agreements. And another important thing that we could do is making sure that we have an idea of what footnotes need to be included. And there are some footnotes that we could start writing before the end of the year. So all this, doing this before the end of the year can really help in ensuring that we all meet the 90-day deadline and submit the financial statements to the town within the 90 days. Right. So in summary, getting an accounting professional involved early can help ensure the clarity of the financial agreement and can help reduce the stress of having the financials issued within 90 days by beginning work prior to completion of the project in an effort to reduce compression after year end. You know, uh, guys, this was a really great summary. And I think the theme that I've heard a number of times is having your trusted advisor involved in these early helps ensure that the execution of the agreement is really in line with, with the expectations. Uh, so certainly, thank you both again for taking some time uh, teaching me a few things about this program. Thanks for having us. It was really great to go through this with you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so this is Chris Frederick of the Wilkin & Gutton Plan podcast, helping you make sense of the numbers.